Hey guys, we're back on heart disease today, heart disease prevention, heart attack prevention, calcium scoring, and all of the technology around that to keep yourself safe. So we're with Mark Felstead from We Love Our Heart, uh, the pioneer group leader to bring together people to eliminate heart attacks in as much as possible. And we've brought along one of those guys, Doug, who has an extraordinary story because he is one of the relatively few super high scorers, especially super high scorers who have not had any major events as such. So it's going to be a fascinating discussion, especially for people who are worried about high calcium scores. So great to see you, Mark, and great to meet you, Doug. Hi, Ivor. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, my Hi, friend. Ivor. Hi, Mark. Hey, Doug. Hi, Doug. And uh, I don't know whether we want to build up the tension here, but I think, no, we'll get straight to the current score and give people an idea of the current score and the score over the years, because I think we'll want to get into progression as well, because interesting. Sure. My, uh, my current score was uh, 3,600. Uh, and when I got that news, it was a pretty big shock because I, it was the first time I'd actually looked at all the, all the scales. But I recall doing a test very early on in 2006, and I had a score hundred of 473. And uh, it was repeated in 2016, and uh, it was uh, just over 1,200. So the progression from back in 2006 to now is about 12.5% per year. Yeah, and that's interesting because even though you have a massive score, an excellent study I've shared many, many times looked at high scores, but it looked at progression. And the people who progressed at a high rate, like above 15% per year, they had enormous uh, level of heart events, like 50% of that group had heart events. But the people who progressed at lower than 15% per year, particularly around five, six, seven, eight, whatever, even with the very high score that would suggest they have massive risk, their actual heart event rate was only around 3%, which wasn't really a whole lot different from a very low scoring person. So the progression of the calcification is a really important measure. It tells you whether the disease is running fast and hot, which means there's a danger of rupture, or it's running slow and repairing as she goes, which could mean not so much risk. So that's really fascinating. You appear to be in that moderate progression. Body is calcifying and repairing the damage at an adequate rate to prevent a rupture. And I don't think you didn't actually have a heart event, or, or did you? No, I, I, no? I had a little, a few niggles, and uh, I've had two stents along the way in two times. And last checked in uh, 219, and everything was flowing beautifully. Yep, well, there you go. Yeah, and that surprises people, but again, the calcification is a repair process where your body is dealing with a major issue, but it doesn't mean your body necessarily will, will show you that it's having major issues. The repair process is just going on in the background. Now, of course, the key thing is at some point you could go up to 16, 18%, and as we get older, we become more insulin resistant. Uh, we become less able to do very good repair processes. This is established. So the risk can really ramp up. So the key thing is always to step in and slow the damage process, the inflammation. And if you slow that and keep your head down at low progression, then you essentially don't really carry too much risk at all. And just one other quick thing, Doug, you were very like 
um, David Bobbitt, my, my original sponsor, uh, I'm out my own now, but he had a score of 917, I think, at 52 years of age. So around like the age you had 500, but he was slim as a whippet, aced his treadmill, and he was top 10% fitness for his age, highly health focused. Now it turned out, of course, his blood glucose looked okay. All of his bloods looked okay and his stress treadmill. The reality was he unknowingly had type 2 diabetes and no one ever measured his blood after a meal, glucose. And when he began to do that through his own research and got a meter, you should never go above six, six and a half millimole after a meal. He was getting readings at 25. Massive type 2. So these are the hidden things. But only the calcium score gave him the heads up so he could go and research and find out all of what we're talking about. Then he took action. He got himself down to 6% progression, reduced the progression right down. And for the last six, seven years, he has no concerns, even though he's carrying a score around 1,000. He has no worries because he understands it. And he cut the carbohydrate out, cut the pastries he was eating, cut out the low-fat diet and began to eat real food. And he got magnesium, potassium, and he's getting all these minerals he learned about, his vitamin D up. He basically fixed all the root causes. So now he's fine. He's fine. Well, that's, that's ironically, I watched the, the movie, of course, uh, a couple of months ago, but that, that's exactly the action that I've taken. And in the early days, uh, it wasn't really explained to me uh, exactly what this meant. And it wasn't until I looked at the tables and, you know, zero's a, a good score and 400's a bad score. And it's like, wow, you know, where does 3,600 sit? And I believe it's in the top 2%. Um, yeah. Strangely enough, that, one that's not the top 2% you want to be in, though, right, Doug? No, it's not. It's not. It's <laughs> it could, it, I, I, I think it's, one it's of the higher good than that. It could, it could be in the top point something percent. I, I think from memory, 3,600 is, is the tippy top for, for your age. But But there you go. Yeah, well, that makes me feel uh, not so good. But uh, one good thing <laughs> well, came of it was uh, I couldn't really understand how I could get such a score. I don't sit around and on the watching TV, having pizza and pretty active, had a big job all my life and, you know, very, very energetic. And, and all my bloods are good. You know, all my cholesterol's mm. down and, the, and the, the little A is good and everything's good. So I asked my brother to to take a test and uh, he came back interestingly he's a little older than me uh, came back at uh, 3300 and my sister who's now 70 came back at uh, 560 so it, it was good to let my family know that we've actually all got this thing from you know our, our lovely parents probably but interestingly enough my brother had a stent about a week and a half after uh, he went in and he was perfectly fine, very energetic, no trouble. Um, so knowing about this is, is what I think it's all about, which is why I'm happy to share my story in case uh, other people, you know, just stop at the bloods because you really need to go further into it and push for scores and understanding and then do all the treatments that, um, you know, David did. 
Yeah, that's exactly it, Doug, and that's a perfect synopsis, and we'll touch on a couple of those things. The genetic susceptibility is a big one, but just in terms of getting the test, you never really know from the bloods. I mean, expert reading of bloods, including advanced bloods, you can get an amazingly good prediction of the level of heart disease, but nothing ever will compare to looking at the actual heart disease directly with the quick two-minute CT scan. And that, that is the answer. And then you can go and you can use bloods to track your progress, improve your bloods, work on that problem. But you need the score to know what the reality is. And that, that's I've got, the um, I've, I've got a direct question for you there, Ivor, because I'm asked many times, how often should you have, because we, you know, we love our heart, we love the CAC scores. Obviously, we encourage people to get it. But many people ask me, oh, I'm going to have one in six months or a year, or my doctor says two years. And there's actually very little point, I think, isn't there? What's, what's yeah. your advice to how often you should get those scores? Rule of thumb, I mean, there's David Bobbitt himself kind of does it annually, but he's, a, he's an expert in this. He wants the data. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really do it. So I would say if you get a really low score or a good score, and let's say you're middle-aged, you could probably wait a decade. Because if you get a zero and you're watching your bloods, now if you get a zero and you're diabetic type two with blood glucose problems, you don't get what they call the 15 year warranty. There was a paper called in its title, 15 year warranty for a zero score. But the nuance is important. If you have good bloods truly as judged by me or a doctor who understands insulin resistance and you get a zero, you kind of have a 15 year warranty. But there's another study that shows clearly what I would have known anyway. Type 2 diabetics who get a zero do not get a warranty. And in three or four years, their risk can be going up and their score going up uh, notably. So that's just an important nuance. But let's say you're healthy, you get a low score, and your bloods, you're watching, and you're aware. Um, you could wait a decade. And if you get a moderate score, like you know, for a person in their 50s, and let's say you get a 50 or 60, it's a bit of a disappointment and a surprise. You might be several years while focusing on your bloods, finding out your problems and, and, and living better. Uh, several years, three or four years. And if you're a very high score, a shock score like David Bobbitt, you know, maybe 18 months. Even if you fix your metabolism and your metabolic problems, we have many cases where the score tends to roll on like there's a kind of a inertia or like a, a heavy train that you keep calcifying soft plaque for the next six or 12 months so you just confuse yourself you go back in eight months and it's gone up and you, and there's no point if you've taken action so i'd say for a very high score okay maybe maybe 18 months but but i i wouldn't be too anxious to run back in you do want to find your progression but sometimes people progress at 10% and, and that's fine. It's, it's not perfect science in terms of trying to keep measuring CAC. Uh, I, hopefully I've articulated that. When you get a high score, when you have a problem demonstrated, now you know you got a problem. You know your problem definition, as we say in engineering, the first step. Problem definition, I have high heart disease, surprisingly. Then you need to get into solution. And the solution will involve monitoring a lot of blood work and changing a lot of things in your life. Um, but that's really what's important after a high score. It's not running back in again to keep looking at what the score is now, that that would not be advised. 
I just want to say, Doug, if you don't mind me saying so, it was, it was uh, Doug came to We Love Our Heart and the Pioneer Group through yourself, obviously through your, your film and uh, the work there. And we had the we had the talk together with Doug, and I said, "Well, Doug, I'm awfully sorry, but the Pioneer Group is closed now. Um, you have to start again, like in January when I'm taking the next um, intake." And he said, "Oh well, I've got a, a CAC score of three and a half." I'm like, "Okay, maybe we should start now then." <laughs> Well, mainly, because, mainly, mainly, Doug, because you're good for you're good for the group to have that contrast. <laughs> oh, no, it's it's perfect, and your attitude, Doug, is is pristinely perfect, uh, because the people have said, oh, but if you tell people to get a score and they get a high score, they're going to be all worried. They'd be better off not knowing, and and that's so absurd. I will acknowledge that some people get a high score and they do worry excessively, but most people understand and accept, okay, it's disappointing, but the people I send to get a calcium scan, I, not literally, I, I don't write prescriptions, but the people who get one because they've heard all my uh, lectures, they also generally are aware of all the root cause fixes and all the stuff they didn't know about carbohydrate and fat. And so they go in to get the score being armed with knowing how to deal with it if it's high. Whereas if you get sent in by some doctor who knows nothing or not a doc, anyone who knows nothing or because of an advert and you walk in willy nilly and get one, you get a high score, you find out that's really serious. This medical system doesn't really know what to do with you. They'll give you a bag of statins and tell you to go home. You'll be fine. That's it, pretty much. Yeah. Or you'll get an angiogram or a stent or whatever. But the stent doesn't really lower your chances of future events. Only fixing the problem does. And this is acknowledged in the COURAGE study. Stents alleviate some symptoms, perhaps, but they don't actually change the risk of a future event. And the reason is because we have an enormous arterial tree. And if they take the worst spot and put a stent in it, sure, it's shored up. But the whole rest of the tree is exposed to the damage that's been happening. And somewhere else will have a problem. So statistically, yeah. Mm. Well, I've never been one to, uh, to, to run from a problem. And, you know, if there's a fire, I like to deal with it. And I think yeah. that's the... That's the, you know, if the, if the message that I could share is, uh, you know, if you don't know what the problem is, back to, to your engineering example, uh, Ivor, if you don't know what the problem is, you don't know how to fix it. And, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I've got a great cardiologist, but I, I'm actually in China and he's in Hong Kong. And because of COVID, we can't get to see one another, but we, you know, we, we, we talk regularly and I message him with staff and he's, he's been great. Um, you know, you, you've, you, your, your podcasts have also been comforting. And in fact, you've probably got more information on this issue about what to do with a high school than anyone else. You know, I've, I've, through you, I met Warren Matthews and I'm now taking um, his uh, CX-8. So that, that's, so, and I'm also taking um, through my uh, cardiologist, the Rapatha, the, uh, oh, the SK9. Mm. And um, for the first time, I had my uh, little A done, little A blood scores, lip lipoprotein, and uh, it was 4.6, which I understand is pretty good. Yeah, well, mine is in the stratosphere. It didn't shock me too much because I'm an APOE4. I have a genetic background, which you'd expect. Um, but mine's in the stratosphere, but I had a zero score at 48 years old. Um so again, this is a great point to bring up is the genetic susceptibility. 
I think of high LP little a as a flag that your genetics evolutionarily are more likely to be someone who's prone to inflammatory problems with modern processed foods or modern contaminants. It's kind of flags you as a potential risk. And that's why it correlates. It's not really the LP little a is running around being made by your liver. The LP little a is made by your liver. Your liver doesn't make stuff that kills you. So, but it's an indicator that you are a person that is an evolutionary heritage where LP little a was made in high quantities to help with clotting, um, you know, and as a backup to low vitamin C, which usually is involved in the clotting process. Uh, hence, you know, scurvy is a lack of clotting and your body falls apart. Well, LP little a is a stand in a kind of homologue or whatever for vitamin C. So without getting into detail, it flags you as a person with a certain evolutionary background, like APOE4 status does. APOE4 status is not driving disease. It's the original human genome. Of course it's not driving disease, but it does indicate a susceptibility to modern contaminants, etc. And interestingly, LDL itself, cholesterol, why it correlates with heart disease in hypercholesterolemiacs, we know now that hypercholesterolemiacs, let's say with an LDL of six, there's guys in there who have an LDL of six and they get heart disease in their thirties. Absolutely. And there's guys who are hypercholesterolemiacs with an LDL of six who have clean arteries at 66. We even have a guy with an LDL over 10 millimoles, right? That should literally have blown up his arteries at the age of 10. Clear angiogram in his late 60s, perfect arteries. So it's not the cholesterol that's damaging, but the cholesterol numbers do indicate an evolutionary heritage. And another thing they do, of course, if your ratios are bad, the cholesterol numbers reflect insulin resistance very faithfully, which is a big driver. So a lot to unpack there, but just a bit. Genetics loads the gun, environment pulls the trigger. Even people with a susceptibility if they really focus on making their environment perfect, like only eating real food, fasting, getting vitamin D and sun exposure, do everything right, they'll often overcome the genetic sensitivity. And likewise, we got people, it's crazy, who have eaten crap for 30 years, 40 years, and basically get a zero score. And their genetics is such that it can handle it. They're just machines that, that throw it at me. Uh, I'll deal with it. And so what they're both it? extremes. What is it you say either though? You can't run away from a bad diet? <laughs> Most people, the odd person seems to be able to get away with it, but they are rarities. Just like you're a very, very high score. Uh, Doug, uh, not Brody. I interviewed him in Las Vegas a few years ago, the inventor of the CT scanner for CAC. Oh, I can't think of his name. I visited him. He has a company of scanning now. Uh, lovely, lovely gentleman. But he told me during the interview, he says, yeah, we used to get these small percentage of people with, with no calcification, but they still had heart problems. They exist. That's the tail. And we had a small percentage of super high calcification like three, four, five thousand. Uh, and we used to call them ceramic coronary artery people. But but we had these people who had no heart events and they were in their 60s, some of them. And basically the repair process of calcification, which evolution designed to try and fix 
the risky spots in your arteries that could rupture from soft plaque from inflammation that process in some people works so well that they end up with ceramic arteries and never get a heart attack and uh I, you're I've one of those lucky a, guys I've, I've actually had a professor uh I, I live, live in Shanghai China and and uh and an older professor said, you, you're not going to have a heart attack. You know, you, yeah. you won't have one. And he was saying the same sort of thing, yeah. which was obviously music to my ears, but I, you know, <laughs> I've still embarked on this huge regime. Uh, I, I believe the inflammation is something that I've really got to, got to, you know, that's what I'm paying attention to now. So eating as much natural food as I can and lost a lot of weight and more exercise, sleep, um, and it's been so good to have, uh, uh, you know, Mark and, and the We Love Our Heart program around to just to bounce off and, and to learn things. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, hopefully we can be, be around together for a long time. Too right, Doug, too right. And we love to have you. <laughs> it's been, it's yeah, great. It's, it's great. Well, I think I missed that meeting. So it's the first time meeting you, Doug. Delighted to meet you. And I love to meet people as well who have the same kind of neuropsychology or outlook as i do it's all about my favorite phrase you said about going to the fire my favorite phrase i picked up from a ceo in the company i worked in a few years ago the phrase she had was run to the fire and it was all about you know we're under serious pressure uh we're actually looking dismal in our projections and aftermarket are attacking us and it's all doom and gloom and she came out run to the fire whether we win or not doesn't matter. We run, to, and I love that phrase, and I use it ever since. And that is the way to live life. For never worry about your enemies. Yeah. I adopted it. Well, you've got to, you know, make your own life and and that sort of thing. But it's it's fascinating, this whole thing. And I just encourage people to look behind the the bloods. I guess look and do. I've had a normal treadmill, normal echocardiogram, yeah. and my bloods are all good. I go to the score and it's 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 incredibly high. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean I could I could I could add there, Doug, as well. You know, some of the some of the, the previous tests I've done with the ECG and on, on the on the um, the ergometer, and they're like, Mr. Phil said your heart's perfectly, you know, you're you're a top athlete, there's nothing wrong with it. That's it. That's it's it. no guarantee either, right? No. Hmm. No, it will pick up certain things by all means. And if there's narrowings and the rhythm function is affected, it'll pick them up. It's not useless. It'll pick stuff up. But only the calcium scan sees the disease. Literally, literally sees the disease. Everything else is a proxy. So there you go. So I know we want to keep this tight and the video's coming to the end there on the counter. And uh, that's great stuff. I'll put the link to Wheel Over Our Heart below and... Um, you know, it's it's community, and I agree with you, Doug. It's all about community and mutual support and sharing data and knowledge. It's not about magic fixes. It never is. Uh, it's about community working together, sharing knowledge, and supporting each other. Mm. There we go. Mm. And we're very happy very. That to, to be working with you, uh, Ivor, and you as well, Doug. Thank you so much to both of you. Oh. Mm. Great stuff. Have a great day, guys. We'll come back all later. Right. Thank okay. you, Ivor. Cheerio. Thank you. Bye. Don't forget to subscribe and also to hit that little bell icon to make sure you're informed and get to counter some of the more corporate style science that's out there. We mentioned We Love Our Heart there, and that's a group that gathers together pioneer groups of people 
who have major concerns around heart disease or indeed who have suffered cardiac events. And we go through the science, the data, the blood tests, the diet and nutrition and lifestyle that's required to counter the risk. Um, so it's a great group and it's at weloveourheart.com. Finally, a huge shout out to my Patreon and PayPal supporters. Hugely appreciated. Help keep my train on the track, getting out the message on optimizing and maximizing public health. And recently we started doing uh, Zoom calls, Ask Me Anything sessions every few weeks. And really they've been hugely productive, uh, a huge range of questions and great discussions. So really appreciate that and allows me to give something a little extra to the Patreons and really to engage with my audience and my supporters. Anyway, the links are down below, so support always appreciated. Thank you.